Coming up on Harvard Chan This Week in Health, what's inside e-cigarettes? New research is raising concerns about a chemical used in many popular flavors. Plus, treating law enforcement-related deaths as a public health issue. A new call to change how those incidents are counted. And we know we shouldn't text and drive, but we'll explain why texting and walking could also be hazardous. Hello and welcome to Harvard Chan This Week in Health. I'm Noah Levitt. And I'm Amy Montemiro. Topping our news this week, researchers say a chemical flavoring linked with severe respiratory disease was found in more than three-quarters of the e-cigarettes they tested. Amy, that chemical is diacetyl, and for years, breathing in the flavoring has been linked to so-called popcorn lung because it first appeared in workers who inhaled artificial butter flavor in microwave popcorn processing facilities. Researchers at the Harvard Chan School tested 51 types of flavored e-cigarettes and refill liquids for the presence of diacetyl and two related flavoring compounds that may pose a respiratory hazard. At least one of the three chemicals was detected in 47 of the 51 flavors tested, and diacetyl was detected in 39 of the flavors tested. We spoke to the study's lead author, Joseph Allen, who is an assistant professor of exposure assessment science. He says it's important that consumers are aware that these chemicals may be in e-cigarettes, and he believes that flavored e-cigs deserve more scrutiny, noting that the FDA has banned similar flavors in tobacco cigarettes. Many of the flavorings we tested, we deem are very appealing to children. Flavors like cotton candy, tutti frutti, even ones like alien blood. So these are marketed, we feel, towards kids. The urgent action here is to be sure that we're at least being as careful with uh, the e-cigarettes as we are with regular cigarettes. Many of these flavoring chemicals are considered grass, generally regarded as safe for ingestion. So these flavoring chemicals are widely used in, in the food industry to flavor many of the products we all purchase and eat. What they're not evaluated for in terms of safety is inhalation exposure. So the inhalation exposure pathway is the one that's concerned. This is how the workers were getting sick from popcorn lung. They were inhaling these flavoring chemicals. This is what the concern with the similarities to users of e-cigarettes, the inhalation of these flavoring chemicals. So very different. The exposure pathway definitely matters, ingestion versus inhalation. E-cigarettes are not currently regulated, but the FDA has issued a proposed rule that would include e-cigs under its authority to regulate certain tobacco and nicotine-containing products. Also in the news this week, infant mortality in the United States fell to its lowest level ever in 2014. That's according to new data from the Centers for Disease Control. Last year, there were 582 infant deaths per 100,000 live births, a drop of about 2% from the previous year. According to the New York Times, a potential driver for the decline is a drop in respiratory distress among premature newborns. Despite the decline, the United States still compares poorly with other developed nations when it comes to infant mortality. In 2010, the infant mortality rate in the U.S. was more than double the rates in Finland and Sweden. The number of Americans killed by the police each year is, quote, an official mystery. That's the view of Harvard Chan School researchers who say those deaths should be treated as a public health issue. And Amy, because of that, they're now proposing a change in how those deaths are counted. In a new paper published this week, researchers argue that all law enforcement-related deaths, including officers who are killed, should be treated as a notifiable condition and reported weekly to the CDC. That would put police deaths and police killings on par with other deaths, such as those from work-related injuries or poisonings. And Noah, in that paper, the authors presented data showing that over the past 50 years, people who are black have faced a significantly greater risk of being killed by the police than those who are white. 
1965, black men between the ages of 15 and 34 were eight times more likely to be killed by police than white men. By 2005, the excess risk for black men had declined, but was still three times higher than that of white men. We spoke to the study's lead author, Nancy Krieger, professor of social epidemiology at the Harvard Chan School. She says that in order to address those disparities, public health experts need more information. In public health, you measure problems to monitor them, to see if problems are getting worse or better, and to design interventions to change them, and then you see if you have an impact. So if we don't know the magnitude of the problem, we don't know the problem that needs to be fixed, we don't know areas that are hot spots that need extra attention, we also don't know the areas that are doing well and actually could provide information as to what are better ways to approach the question so that we have fewer people dying in this kind of way. That's what public health does. The monitoring is to understand the problem. It's monitoring over time. It's not a one-time study. It's ongoing, just the way we monitor other types of mortality. Krieger points out that the Guardian newspaper in England has been reporting in real time the number of people killed by police in the U.S. this year, an estimated 1,061 people. In China this week, life in Beijing ground to a halt as heavy smog forced officials to declare a state of emergency. According to the BBC, the government declared its first ever red alert, closing schools and factories and forcing many of the city's 20 million residents to stay inside on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Car use was also limited in a move to reduce the smog. The red alert came as Chinese officials met with other world leaders at the Paris Climate Talks. During the two-week conference, officials discussed their plans to reduce coal usage in the country. The stakes are high for China. A recent study from Harvard Chan researchers estimated that air pollution causes 1.4 million deaths a year in that country. That's about 40% of the global total. Chipotle CEO is trying to reassure customers this week after a second health scare at the chain of Mexican restaurants. This week, Boston College announced that more than 140 of its students were sickened with norovirus after eating at a Chipotle restaurant. That location has been voluntarily closed by the company. This comes just a month after an E. coli outbreak linked to Chipotle sickened 50 people in nine states. In response, the chain's CEO, Steve Ells, tells NBC News that the company is putting in place new procedures that will make Chipotle, quote, the safest place to eat. Ells did not specify what those procedures would be, but did say that since the E. coli outbreak, the company has been testing all its ingredients, as well as all surfaces in its restaurants, for the presence of the bacteria. Finally, this episode, we all know we shouldn't text and drive, but what about texting and walking? The ultimate act of multitasking, right, Amy? I have a hard time not texting and walking. I'm, I'm going to just admit to being guilty of this and use this as a teachable moment for myself, know it. Well, I think we've all had that experience. You know, we're in Boston, crowded sidewalks, you know, you're sending an email after work. Sometimes you're the slammer. Sometimes you're the slammy. So, you know, we're talking about a, a, an issue here that we can be a little lighthearted about, but I gotta tell you, there's a new study here from researchers at Stony Brook University that's outlined there's some real hazards associated with distracted walking. They found that people can veer off course by as much as 61% while texting and walking, and people are getting injured. According to the New York Times, visits to the emergency room for injuries involving distracted pedestrians more than doubled between 2000 2004 and 2010. During that period, about 1,000 texting and walking injuries were reported, ranging from a shattered pelvis to back, 
head and neck injuries. And as we're talking about it, there is now growing awareness of the problem, and the federal government is offering grants of $2 million to cities to combat distracted walking. Now, experts say there are also steps you can take to make sure you're not distracted, such as lowering your headphone volume so you can hear traffic. And if you do need to take a call or send a text while you're on a busy sidewalk, stop, step out of the flow of traffic, do whatever you need to do, and then re-enter safely, just like in a car. You know, if you're behind the wheel, pull over, stop, turn it off, send your text, and then you can continue on your way. I think that's a good reminder. And I, I'm, you know what, I'm going to really try with a, a New Year's resolution. I'll start this week a little early, get some practice. I'm really going to vow to stop texting and walking. So we'll check in around February maybe and see how you're doing with that. That's all for Harvard Chan This Week in Health. I'm Amy Montemiro. And I'm Noah Levitt. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes U. Just search for Harvard University. Or find it on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Harvard Public Health. And you can always get the latest health news by visiting our website, hsph.harvard.edu.